The Midwife Crisis Podcast will touch on sensitive topics regarding the human body, sexuality, pregnancy, and all aspects of women's health care, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Hello, I'm Kate. And I'm PR, and this is The Midwife Crisis, because it's not just you. So today in our sort of part two episode, um, as we've been gone during the pandemic, we're going to talk about the other crisis that the world is facing today, one that's been around for far too long, and that's gained new and essential momentum. And that is bringing the vast calculated and systemic injustices that are working against and killing black people to light. You know, as I wrote the post um, on our Instagram and Facebook, which if you haven't seen, um, we made a nice post and we got some really great responses. Um, But I made the post on our social media and I I talked about how from the very beginning, from the time that PR invited me on this journey with her, uh, it's always been centered around the idea that we are so different. Anytime we sit down and we talk about things, uh, just our life experiences, are so different, just like all women, just like all people with uteruses. Um, And we always try to address that every time we talk about any topic. Uh, PR always talks about Black and Latinx, and I always, you know, try to talk about and address being white and queer, because that's sort of who we are and what we know. Um, And, you know, we know that even though we are so different, we are also in some ways the same. And it's always been apparent that for me as a straight presenting white cisgendered woman, I've always been treated, you know, quote, better for lack of better word. Um, And that's always been and still is ridiculously unfair. It's a huge problem and it's something that needs to change. Um, And and one thing I wanna say before we start this podcast is I am not perfect, uh, but I see my privilege and I am so, sorry for the injustices, for the horrible things that have happened to the black community forever. And um, I vow that I'm going to do whatever I can do to educate myself, to hold myself accountable, to hold others accountable, to have awkward conversations, um, to teach my children and to freaking fight for what is right, because it is not right. It's been too long and uh, and it's time to do something. So. And I uh, appreciate your allyship, actually. You have gone beyond just making posts. You have been having these awkward conversations. You have been donating money. You've been putting money behind the causes. And you have uh, sort of uh, sidelined some friendships. And, I mean, you've been really putting in the work. And so um, that's the kind of thing that sometimes you will stumble. That's what doing the hard work entails. But I just want to say thank you. And if you could just infect a few more people, (laughs) that would be really awesome. You know, this is the the proverbial best and worst of times. I mean, how many lynchings does it take to wake everybody up? And I think it's pretty obvious for those reasons, that's why it's the worst of times. I mean, we can say why it's the worst of times. George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, you know, what about her killers? Tony McDay, Sandra Bland, Philando Castile, Trayvon Martin, going back a few years. And it's just, it's so many names, like so many names. And then th- these are, there are so many names that are unnamed um, because this has been going on for centuries. And even in modern times, it's not, you know, George Floyd, he was, re- his 
murder was recorded. And so it was for all the world to see. And that, that touched something in everybody. I mean, some of his last words, he called for his mama. And so that, that really struck a chord and it didn't matter what color you were. And so um, in modern times, but this has been going on in unrecorded for uh, too long, for far too long. And so the problem for me is like a multi-layered cake. Um, and I say it's the best of times because now we're opening this up again. And here there are many opportunities here for change. Right. And what we have to we have to seize them basically. Um, I like cake, but not too much cake at once. <laughs> and so, um, because it, the thing is, though, this is a multi-layered because it's about racial justice, it's about legal justice, but also it's economic, it's educational, it's social rights, it's healthcare. And until we address all of these areas with regard to the treatment of Black, Indigenous, and people of color, very little is going to change. You can't just change one part and not change the rest of it. And, you know, we just, we did an episode on COVID, and we were talking mostly about um, women and people with uteruses. But, you know, one thing that Baird mentioning is that, you know, COVID is rampant in uh, with amongst the incarcerated and yes. um, and in nursing homes and that's like being incarcerated and so um, and so that's something that um, almost like being incarcerated because you know, those people usually can't go anywhere but um, you know that's something that's we need to address and who are the incarcerated people of color that right. this is a new, another form of controlling people of color and so um, I feel like we as Black, Latin, X, and, and people of color have been working for our whole lifetimes on how to best get by in a society that doesn't play fair. And it has a head start. And we're trying to start from behind the line and catch up and then, and then uh, even surpass, like do the best we can to make the best of, of the situation that we are in. So I think that the conversation definitely, it begins with, um, acknowledging that those that that uneven that those privileges exist that racism exists we have to say the word and yes. um, I've been recently reading um, Ibram Kendi's book his uh, how to be an anti-racist and it's a good book for everyone to check out it's not just for white people it's not he he is very explicit that this book is he, he the book was for him too and he's black it's for everyone um, because you don't want to just say, I'm not racist. You want to be an anti-racist. And that and that's a very important distinction. And I think it's really worth reading the book just to to sort of gain that knowledge. Um, it, 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 it'll, it'll, it's a start. We have to, you, you have to start somewhere. And so today, um, our podcast is based on the premise, well, not just today. <laughs> Every day, Kate, actually, our podcast is based, based on the premise of intersecting the care and health of women and people with uteruses and their experiences with race and culture and sexual identity and gender identity. And so um, this is like this whole scenario that we're living in right now is like what we are about, what we are trying to accomplish in this podcast. Right. Uh, being so opposite from one another, but able to kind of work together to try and bring a message to people that we 
care for and have in kind to say, um, you're not the only one. And mm-hmm. he, let's do what we can to try and change the situation. Um, so we were going to start with some a couple of stories, um, not very long, just little scenarios that are examples of sort of uh, what we've had to, what, what we've been kind of going through. I mean, I have a whole lifetime list of of microaggressions and situations right. that I've had to live through and stuff like that. So I'm not starting back from the time of my birth. And I was, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm dating myself, but I was born during Jim Crow. Yeah. You know, it's it's been something for a lot of like white people who feel very like woke. Like for me, I grew up in a time where I, I sort of quote unquote, didn't see color, you know, like I loved everyone, you know, I'm queer in my like racial desires as well. You know, like it doesn't matter what race you are. I've never cared. It's never been, you know, a thought for me. And as it turns out, that is a problem because it is important that despite the fact that I love and care for everyone and I, and I, you know, don't want to see us as different. I want us all to be together and lovey and the same. The fact of the matter is that you are a beautiful, professional, well-educated, Ivy League educated woman who is black, who has had to face all these things. And, um, and it's important to to see and make that distinction and make sure that I'm aware of it. And I think that for a lot of us, like I said, that that tend to be more of that way. I don't I don't know even know how to say it, but who try to be more allies need to like really address like it's not enough to just say like we're we're all equal or whatever. Like that's a problem because we're not. Um, and so I think you sharing um, some of the stories that you have shared and that you're going to share is so important because it does remind us that despite the fact that you are successful and wonderful, um, it's it's been a struggle. It makes no difference. It doesn't look at it that, you know, at the end of the day, you are still who you are with the color of the skin that you have and and it's affected you. Yeah, I. it's very interesting. For those of you who have followed us from the beginning, I talk a little bit in our early episode about, um, <clears throat> excuse me, about uh, one of the reasons why I came into this business. And I also uh, told a story, which was um, sort of an, an attachment to one of our episodes or to our, on our uh, website, about uh, it was a story called the seed and it also described in greater detail about why i went into the business of caring for women and people with uteruses and um and there's a lesson for you right there because i'm just gonna digress for one second this is this is how you learn things so when we got in this and we started working together um i would say women and kate would say people and people with uteruses and when people give birth and i said to her i don't really like it when you say people because that disempowers women because only women can give birth that's not really fair and she said to me and what about trans men who want to have a family and i said Oh, okay. Uh, 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 okay. So there, I learned something. So, so change your tune. And exactly. That's how you learn. 
I took, right. I did not take offense to that. She was teaching me something. And that's what we're trying to do here um, on the podcast. We're trying to learn from each other and we're trying to teach also our listeners um, that it's not just, it's not just you and, um, and that you, and you can affect change and you can be the change, uh, not to be cliche, but I was assaulted um, as a, as a, teenager, I was 15 actually, during my first uh, GYN visit by a male uh, OBGYN. And I think that uh, I was examined by him without a chaperone and uh, a bit of an aggressive exam and, and, and what we know now to be an inappropriate exam. And then I was told to come back in six months. And, and he said I needed to be examined again because I was in pursuing birth control pills. And I was doing it without my parents' knowledge. So I was trying to do what I thought was smart because I was going to protect myself from getting pregnant. And I was going to, you know, I thought, well, this is really a smart thing. And in the end, I think that he took advantage. Here I was, a 15-year-old a girl, I was a girl, not a woman, who from the inner city and who presented without her parents. And um, I don't think that he would have done the things to me that he did both times without a chaperone if I were not black and, and presenting from, you know, the inner city by myself. And so that I don't have another reason to think that way. When other people talk about their exams, it's a very different experience. When other white women that I know talk about their exams is very different. And so I just can't help but think um, he did that. He did that and he did it on purpose. And he picked me because I was vulnerable. I was white. I was the same age and I had no, you know, no knowledge. And I had the complete, the complete opposite experience. And, um, and it's really sad and interesting that mine also sort of fueled this like interest I had in caring for women and people with uteruses. But um, yeah. So our our, our 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 ultimate goal to care for these people was is driven by our experiences, but our experiences were different. So right. mine were my experiences were negative and hers were positive. Ultimately, mine became positive also as I interacted with other. Um, healthcare providers with midwives and with nurse practitioners. Um, <clears throat> shout out to Planned Parenthood because I met a nurse practitioner from there. She was just brilliant. Anyway, um, another so another scenario is that uh, in in doing uh, OB care at the hospital, every once in a while, not um, I, I I wouldn't keep track of the frequency, but this would happen. I would work with a good friend of mine who is white, and she was a nurse working there. She doesn't work there now. And she would meet a patient and she would say, oh, I have your patient in whatever room. And um, she's delightful. And and I had already met the patient. And I think to myself, well, really? Because she was very lukewarm to me. When I went in the room, she was lukewarm. Her husband was tepid. They weren't very friendly, and I went in with a smile, and I say, I'm so-and-so. We didn't get to necessarily meet when during pregnancy, um, and so I'm glad to be here for you, and this is what I can do, and let me know, and this and that. And so I go out, and she says that to me. And so then I go back in, and she pointed this out to me recently. She said that when we saw each other, because we're friends, and she said, you know, 
this, when all of this racial stuff sort of came to the fore, she said, um, you know, I, I really feel some kind of way about all of that. So I would go back in the room after she told me that, and she would come in the room and I would tell the patient, I would share with them, she's my friend. Like, um, we go on, we would kind of joke around about different things. And then I would say, we go on vacations together sometimes and we have dinner and we, and then she would throw in a couple of two cents about the things that we do together and how much fun we have. And that, you know, her son was, my daughter had a quinceanera when she turned 15 and her son was one of the, uh, the, the young men that participated, one of the escorts for the girls. And so, uh, and then the couple would warm up. And after I did that a few times, she realized that it was a strategy to try to get them, I used her to get them to to be warmer, like to accept me. I'm the person who's gonna catch your baby, who's gonna provide you with I, the best care that I can. I'm skilled, but my buy-in was through her, a white nurse who didn't. She's competent and she's good but doesn't have the skills to actually do the birth to to catch the baby to repair your bottom to do whatever else has to be done but um my acceptance was my 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 card in was through her so that was you know that's kind of a quirky little thing there and the third thing was myself as a patient um long after that that first situation this isn't with an OBGYN it's with another physician who I was having an issue and um, and that person didn't, it was a very serious issue and, and that person didn't believe me, I don't think, and said to me, well, take this medicine and uh, why don't you call me back at like five o'clock in the morning and let's see when the sun rises, they said, and let's see how you're doing then. And I thought, mm, that's, well, this is really serious. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not well, like I'm, I happen to have been bleeding. And so I said, I'm, I, this is a serious, I'm, this is real. Like, I, I don't know if I can wait that long. And um, he said, no, I think you're, I think you're, you're fine. I suspect you're fine. And uh, the five, I waited until five o'clock and, and uh, I went into the emergency room and I passed out at the door of the emergency room and I wound up needing a transfusion and I needed, and um, so my regular physician person said, um, did you tell him that you were, and I said, I told him everything. I told him what was happening. I told him how often it was happening, what was going on. And he said, just, you know, take this medicine and just go lie down and let's see what happens at the sunrise. So there's this misconception that um, people of color are like, they can muscle through things and that they can have higher tolerance for pain and that, or that we're drug seeking and uh and that isn't wasn't the case and so that winds up causing a disparity in care that i think some folks aren't even aware of the implicit bias that they have they aren't even thinking like this is a recording that's in the back of their head it's not in the front and so they're not even thinking that they're doing something wrong they think they're providing really good care but the reality is if you're providing such good care why is there such a disparity in healthcare outcomes and the disparity applies to people of color of whatever color and so um that means that there's something wrong with the care you're providing 
there, there is a problem there. And so you're not providing what's needed or there's some kind of gap. And you are a competent, well-educated, skilled provider. So what's wrong with the, wh where, where is the problem? And the problem is not with the, you're too smart for the problem to be with the patient. The problem is with the provider. Yes. Yeah. You know, I just hear that you were just being ignored and I wonder, you know, or just dismissed. And I, and I wonder again, if you were white and had said, listen, I am really unwell, you know, if they would have told you to go lay down, I, you know, I, we're all different. And I, we always talk about meeting patients where they are. Right. And, you know, I've always felt strongly that, I give patients options. So like in the middle of the night, of course, we don't want to send someone to emergent care if they don't need it. But I always listen to the patient, assess them, and then say, you know, based on what you're saying, I think it's probably okay, but also I'm not there and I can't tell you 100%. So if you are telling me you think you need to be seen now, then you should come. If you think that you're okay for right now, let's just keep in contact. Let's, you know, I'll give them practical solutions, but you know, to kind of dismiss it and just say, you know, just go lay down. It's, I mean, frankly, it's dangerous and um, it's, it's, it's upsetting. <laughs> well, the other piece of it is that, you know, I usually have to identify myself as a provider, as a clinician mm -hmm. also, like I have to call it, like I'm a clinician, this is a dangerous amount of law, blood loss that's occurring here. And um, so I, some, I would, if I had a patient in this situation, then I would have them be seen. And then to still be told, well, just try this medication and then we'll see what happens five hours from now. And, right. and then, you know, maybe I wouldn't have needed a transfusion or whatever. Um, in the end, I wound up needing surgery, not just a transfusion. So it is just really uh, disconcerting. And that's the kind of thing where you say, you are, so here I am, a person who's well-educated, like, like you have said, Ivy League educated, and a provider in that very same institution. And, um, but I'm still not getting the kind of care that probably, um, someone else who, who is, um, you know, who has all factors being equal except skin color is going right. to get. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's bananas. And, and frankly, I've seen it, you know, um, I think about working in healthcare, you know, I, people may sort of know this about me or not know this about me from pictures and stuff, but I'm like a little punky. I'm a little alternative. I'm very into self-expression. And so I have tattoos and I have a nose piercing and I always have multicolored hair and, you know, all these things that I have always done, even as a professional person. And I see that many times no one says anything to me about those things and I just move on and that's who I am. And I've seen people of, of color, black people, uh, you know, Latinx people that I work with who haven't had that, you know, who have, you know, said, Oh, you have your nose ring in. I was told I couldn't wear my nose ring. And I'm like, mm -hmm. so that's a problem, you know, like just because I'm white and I, you mm -hmm. know, like I'm quote unquote getting away with it. That's ridiculous. Um, and, and, we need to speak to that. You know, we need to be able to address it. 
uh, you know, when you're talking about sort of having to use our friend who's a nurse to sort of like finagle in with a patient, and you had asked me earlier today, you know, do you ever have to do that, especially if you're dealing with, you know, like black patients or, um, you know, I always feel, and, and I guess I've sort of known this, that I need to more carefully um, earn a black person's trust. Uh, and and, and I, don't, I don't know why, but I think that's just been inside of me that I know that they've been through a lot and may or may not trust me and that I don't look like them and that I need to show them that they're safe and that they're valued and that I care about them. And so I find that I probably overdo it a little bit in, in those cases. And I really go like, 240, you know, like I give 110% because I want to make sure that they know that I am a safe person. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if that's good or bad. I, I, I shouldn't have to do that, but I want to, because I want them to feel safe. So, so I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing that I do, but, um, but typically I, I hope and I do think that those people do feel safe with me. I do know that sometimes when I go in to care for a patient um, who is black and I'm working with my colleague that I'm very close with who is also black um, and we very much present as like a ragtag team, uh, I think patients do feel better about that. And I think a huge part of these drives for, uh, you know, GYN and OB care to get more midwives and nurse practitioners and nurses of color, you know, whether it be, again, that they're Latinx, that they're black, that they're indigenous, you know, so that people can see themselves in their healthcare provider. I think that is hugely important. Mm -hmm. And I can never be that, despite the fact that I have 5% Congo in my, <laughs> in my DNA, I will never stop looking white and being white. And that is who I am. And so I guess in, in my way, I sort of try to, to overcompensate a little bit. Um, so you're trying, you know, you're making effort and we, eventually you get in the groove of what works and, and you find out what your patients need and you try and give that to them. But there's nothing, there's nothing really worse than not trying and not really acknowledging. So, and that's an issue that I have. So now that, you know, since George Floyd's murder, I have, you know, I had a lot of friends, work friends, I will call them, because they aren't people that I necessarily socialize with much outside of work, but a lot of work friends who I would chit chat with and that kind of thing. And they've sort of fallen by the wayside. And I think they are so uncomfortable with it, with a conversation. Like someone asked me, how are my children? And I said to her, they're fine. My Two of my children live on the West Coast. And I said, they're fine. They're they're isolating, but now they've, they've just started to venture out since this murder and they, they are, um, you know, they engaging in protests and supporting Black Lives Matter, you know, agenda and that thing, that kind of thing. And uh, she changed the subject. Hmm. I'm like, uh, hello, weren't we talking about something? And so I, she's like, oh, I, I said, okay, well, you know what? I can't spend my whole day trying to educate people. And so right. I, I, 
was like, okay, you go over there and you can just stay over there. And so this is someone who I put my feet under a table and had dinner with her before. And I'm just like, Mm-mm, no, I can't. The, you, the energy that it takes is just a lot. It's a lot. And it's very interesting that people that you have shared stories with and they've shared secrets with you and that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden it's sort of, you know, no, we're not going to talk about that. Um, and, and they don't realize how uncomfortable like that makes me. And at the same time, also, I find myself a little more intolerant of all these brilliant people that I work with, but you can't find the knowledge to try and figure out what patients, how you can take better care of your patients of color and how you can be more respectful of your colleagues of color and engage with your colleagues of color in a respectful manner. And so it's sort of like a, just a total lack of understanding or not even concerning yourself with anything that's going on of, yeah. of, of the, uh, what, you know, of the microaggressions of the, mm-hmm. of the weathering that we are enduring to try to just get through. And um, I think people would like for it to go back to the way it was. And I hope it never goes back to the way it was because the way it was was terrible. It was tiring and it makes me more tired than I am now. Um, yeah. But I, I don't need it to go back to the way it was. And this is this is historical stuff. Like it, 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 it dates back to enslavement, really. Um, you know, and that's the thing, you know, that's why I said this is a layer cake. Because let's let's talk a little, real quick about education. If you grow up and you never you see that slave like enslaved people were brought over in 1619, and then that's pretty much it until like Martin Luther King appears on the scene. So where were people of color all in between there? And so you don't see them. You know what that means? They don't matter. That yeah. whatever they did. They, that they built the White House, that doesn't matter. Um, or that, you know, Asians built the rail system, that doesn't matter. That you that you took the land from indigenous people here who were here first, that doesn't matter either. And so it's because it's not, you know, all we get a taste of the indigenous is Thanksgiving. And so, you know, that also is like a big old, you should be thankful, but that's a hoax because you yeah. know, how many people died so you can have that dinner. Um, and so, uh, you know, that it starts there. Children are educated. You know, you have very young children, so they should be learning this stuff at an early age about who did what and who contributed what and who, and it's not just only one group of people that did something that mattered in this country. And so I think that that is, you know, that's a bit, that's a big issue. And that's a, that's an issue that people don't even realize what they don't know. That, that all that to say. Right. And I, I do want to say just briefly that as far as these issues have happened and that we're talking about things at the, in the workplace and everything, it is not up to you as 
as a person of color, as a black person to make these changes. It is up to us as white people to educate ourselves, to come up with a plan, to recognize where our deficits lie, to recognize where um, we need to put in more work. And, you know, that's been something that I've really tried to like take over, like at, at my own workplace, you know, I remember them saying, oh, you know, let's check with, you know, this person that we work with that's black just to make sure that they're comfortable with it. And I was like, no, they have a lot of shit on their plate right now. Like, why don't we just grab this thing, you know, mm -hmm. by the reins and take care of it? Like, don't be scared to say the wrong thing because what's going to happen if you say the wrong thing, we're going to fix it. We're going to learn something. And that's mm -hmm. the only way that we can get better, you know, and, and not to say that I am infallible because I was telling PR earlier that I have a patient who I love and have cared for for many years, who is a black woman. She's a lesbian woman that we had this awesome conversation at her GYN visit about, you know, about the Black Lives Matter movement and about how she talks to her young son and how I'm trying to educate my sons to, you know, be allies and to be aware of their privilege and all these things. We had this wonderful, wonderful visit. And I went to do her exam and I asked for permission to examine her. And when I touched her, she jumped as many people do. Um, and I said, I'm so sorry that I spooked you. And I immediately heard the words come from my mouth and said, I cannot use that word. That is a that is a word that that is born into racism and and PR is kind of laughing. I am, as you guys may know, I'm obsessed with Halloween. So I always say like spooky, spooky Halloween, all this stuff. And and I need to actively work to not use words like that because they are hurtful and they are negative and I need to change my vocabulary. And so I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but just like when we talk about, you know, using gender affirming terms for people, you make a mistake, you just fix it right. and you apologize, you fix it and you move on. You don't grovel, you don't, you know, go on and on about it. Of course, knowing me, I'll hold on to it for the rest of my life because I'll be like, I upset that poor woman, but, <laughs> but this is what we need to do. Um, so yeah. And, and, and it's a lot of languages, you know, we make common, you know, errors with language. I think we had a chat about it earlier <clears throat> that somebody said to me, uh, I, I asked them to do something, a nurse, and she said, okie dokie, Smokey. And I said to her, okay. time, time out, you can say okie and you can say dokie, but don't, to me, don't say Smokey, because that, that's offensive. Really? Why? Why is that offensive? I say it all the time. Well, because you say something all the time doesn't mean it's not offensive. And then I said to her, you know, it's historical. So there was a time when people couldn't be so bothered to learn the names of black people. So you call them names like, like Smokey. And, and I almost introduced myself in the, in the beginning of the podcast, instead of saying PR, I almost said, this is black Mona. And the reason I, I was going to say black Mona was because that was a nickname that they used to call my mother when she was young, because she's really dark skinned and her name is not Mona. So it's just like, let's just call her anything uh, and put black in front of it because she's real dark. And so I said to them, that's why you can't. It's just don't. Don't say it. And Kate said to me, why don't you tell her to look it up? I said, well, that was a quick lesson. And I don't mind that. But I can't weigh myself down with trying to give lectures and lessons, you know, every day, all day. And I have to, you know, the other thing is, you know, trying to, these are people I have to work with, I have to rely on when I'm in a crunch situation with patients and that kind of thing. 
So I want to maintain a good working relationship, but at the same time, it's sort of, uh, you know, some things that, that are said and done really make me crazy. And I, the way I say it, I have to watch because then all they is like, oh, angry black woman. Mm-hmm. And so now you're not hearing a, a, a fucking thing I'm saying. All you, all you hear, all you see is that I'm angry and that I'm black. And so it's yeah. like, oh, did you see her? She was pissed and she was. The... So did you get the point that I was making? No. So now I have to guard myself. Well, how often do you guard yourself when you're saying things? Probably not, almost never. And um, so it's just like every day, all day. And so when people say things like, um, I can't listen to this anymore. It's just too tiresome. All this racial stuff and all this protesting and all this, oh my God, it's just so much. So much. And I'm like, really? Lucky for you, you get to turn it off because you know what? I get up every morning and I go to brush my teeth and I look in the mirror and I'm looking at the same black face every day. I love it. I love my skin. I love my face and I love my teeth. They're pretty white. However, I don't get to turn it off. I don't get to Mm -hmm. say I'm tired and I, you know, I hope nobody says anything stupid to me today and I just go into the day with the assumption that they won't. And when they do, I have to deal with it because otherwise I would just get out of bed tired already. Yeah. Must be nice, Karen. That's what I would say. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm going to use my privilege and just run my mouth constantly because this is, I'm, I'm fed up because, because I love you. I I, I want everyone to, uh, everyone should be able to just be themselves and be set up in the same way. And it's, it's infuriating. Um, so yeah, so we were going to talk a little bit about just sort of historically how, you know, racism and how, um, our society has set up, you know, our patients, our GYN and OB patients to be, um, you know, disproportionately, uh, I, I don't, I don't even know what words to say. Like, just like, having poor outcomes and being treated worse and having, you know, worse situations, you know, and it, it stems from exactly what you said, what we teach, you know, history in America is whitewashed. And, mm-hmm. you know, last year I took my kids to Virginia and we went to the Jamestown settlement and the opening of the Jamestown, like entrance video is like, uh, African-Americans, uh, indigenous people, uh, Europeans coming together to build this country. And I was like, I literally had to leave the room because I was like, oh, we, oh, did we come together? Were they like, hey, come over and kill us with smallpox? And then like, you know, (laughs) Africans were like, yeah, let me get on your boat and be shackled and enslaved and, you know, raped. Like, what the, I was like so pissed off. And people were just like, okay with it. Like, okay with it being presented on a platter because it's comfortable and it's easy and it feels better that way. And you know what? not okay. F that biz. We have to start by really rewriting history and not being scared to talk about these things like the forced sterilization of black and indigenous women where we, you know, wouldn't allow them to have any more children or we would take their children from them and then force them to feed white children. Mm -hmm. What? What is happening? Of course, there's going to be, you know, black women today who don't want to breastfeed because that is triggering. Can you imagine? Like, I, 
I can't. Anyone who has ever lactated, who has ever fed a baby from the chest or breast, like think about that for a second. It is it is deeply disturbing. Um, and something that I had written about and PR had said that she wasn't aware of, and, and maybe some of you may be aware of, is uh, there's been, everyone knows, there's been all these uh, statues being taken down. You know, we're getting rid of Confederate flags, we're changing mm-hmm. names, because we are trying to get, set things right, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the statues that had been torn down in New York City was of James Marion Sims. And the reason why this really affects gynecology is because he is sort of laureled as the father of modern gynecology. He has been praised for his quote unquote work. And I want you to know that this was not work. This was abuse and this was horror. And the way that he became the father of gynecology with his quote unquote science was through torture and experimentation of black women, of enslaved women. Um, The first that he ever worked on was an enslaved woman named Lucy, who he had stay on her hands and knees, which I don't know if you've ever held that position for a while, but they said hours with no anesthesia while he performed surgery on her basically. So had tools in her bladder, in her uterus. Um, She developed a horrible infection, um, almost died. He said many times he thought that she would die and that she was in excruciating, agonizing pain, but did nothing. Okay. She survived and he was celebrated because he was able to fix this. It's a, it's what's called a fistula, this Mm -hmm. hole between a bladder and a uterus. Mm -hmm. And I. Between bladder and vagina. I'm sorry. Yes. Bladder and vagina. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and I think of this and here's this person who's, you know, praised for what he did and this work he put in. And there's no mention about the torture that he put women through. And it wasn't just Lucy. It was many, you know, black women who had no choice, who had no say, who were literally tortured. It, it sounds like a horror movie and it's real. And we don't mention that. And we need to mention that. Like mm-hmm. we have things that we have because of the actual lives laid down by these people many times forcibly. Um, and, and that is huge. Uh, not to mention, you know, this brings up, like I just mentioned this transgenerational trauma. So trauma of what has been lived by one's family, by one's community, by, by one's past. So when PR says, you know, black Mona, like that's a real, that's a real thing, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that people carry with them. And so when I say I feel that I need to earn the trust of my patients of color and my black patients, it comes from that place. It comes from knowing that they know what has been done to them. You know, look at the Tuskegee, Tuskegee, Tuskegee. Yes, experiment that they did on the men that gave them syphilis on purpose. Right, and they just watched it unfold to to see what 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 was gonna happen to them. that is that is awful that is unethical that that is mm-hmm. not in this do no harm you know model that we tout as healthcare providers and and then you know people wonder why you know there's a black woman who let her you know not let but but had cancer and had the symptoms and didn't seek care because she was scared you know the the knowledge that we have about breast cancer comes from a black woman who had breast cancer and, and her body continues to be, um, looked at, you know, we still have tissue samples from her, um, that is helping us cure other people's cancer. And again, this is, this is 
pushed under a rug. No one's talking yeah. about that. Henrietta Lacks, yeah, they you they take her her cells and do all kinds of work with it and do not uh, help her compensate her. It's just and that's you know she's not given credit. They'll but they'll give credit to you know uh, some old white fellow that I don't know discovers something that's okay, but just not like didn't sacrifice life. Yeah. We should have put a trigger warning before I started talking and I do apologize for that. So we'll have to make sure that we put that on the um, episode because this is uncomfortable and guess what? It needs to be talked about. Yeah, Yeah, Um, this is is definitely uncomfortable. And and that's, you know, you have to start with these uncomfortable, awkward conversations. And, um, you know, I think people need to understand so, you know, there's the argument that well, that was a long time ago and, you know, I didn't do it. It wasn't me who did it, but you are benefiting from, because you're still getting that head start from, or that better treatment from, right. you know, what went on in, it, basically in the past. And so from this, and, and you didn't have your family, you know, families uh, torn apart initially, like with, with enslavement, you had no control over your family. You don't keep keep your babies. You don't get to, and then when when it's over, then they do things like sterilize you and try and 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 do com, uh, complete different acts of genocide so that you're not they have no control. So let's not multiply you, and uh, and 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 then collect the men and incarcerate them because right. you know you just don't want them around if you can't if you're not owning them and so that's you know kind of how the whole we're not even going to get into the because we're talking about women and people with uteruses right but anyway um so it you know it's just really if you go back and it's a shameful aspect but it's how this country was created mm-hmm. and so it needs to be acknowledged um, you know, I went to Australia last year, and um, one of the things that really stood out, stuck out for me is there, when we went on tours and different things that were going around, was the white people's apologetic tone and speech of how they had treated and done wrong the indigenous people there, the aboriginal people. And I, I was thinking, what? This would never happen where we live. This doesn't happen. And apparently it's only recently happening there. They've been a long time trying to get that going. Um, And because they banished those folks to certain lands as well. And they were, they took their children away from them and thought they could educate them better and raise them in white homes. And they were just terribly mistreated as well. And so now they're saying, well, everything we did was just horrible. It was a horror show and we right. should not have done it and we apologize. And so we're ashamed of that part of our history, but we acknowledge that we did it and we're trying to make amends. And and so, you know, if anybody in America would stand up and a leader would stand up and start there, you know, it would be something. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I, make sure you're registered to vote in November. Definitely wear a mask so you can be alive to vote on November 3rd. Cause that's please. What, definitely. That's what I'm doing. Or um, if you're going to vote for the same person who's currently in office, uh, I don't know. Please don't. 
I don't know. I was going to say something not nice, but I'm not even yeah. going to. Well, not, you know, not. the thing about the person who's in office is that he has shown, he has proven himself to not be supportive of women and women's rights and women's bodies and anything that has to do with the female anatomy and gender and yep. party. And so yep. um, it, that, so with that said, I don't understand why you would choose to pick to have someone lead you and your nation who has no interest in you and your well-being not at all not at all and so, so we have a lot more that we were going to try to talk about and not a whole lot more time so and i don't i do not at all want to cut you off but i don't know if you want to try to move ahead or if you want to skip things or i think that um well then i just want to talk a little bit about um uh, you know, with women, I, I, I think that we can, this is worth another episode. So I just want to talk about, you know, the high rates of, um, of pregnancy-related deaths among Black women, that, you know, they're three to four times more likely to die than white women, and also um, pregnancy-related deaths, and also their infants are also have a high uh, rate meal of infant and newborn death as well. And so, and it doesn't, like it. I said, it didn't matter with me, you know, um, black women's reproductive health care is, is jeopardized, is, is suspect, is dismissed, and uh, it's at risk, you are ri- at risk of death. I mean, a, a high profile case is Serena Williams. And she has all the money in the world and is all the, she's famous, world famous, and loved by people black and white pretty much and that and she just about died she wasn't listened to and and she almost died and i understand something similar happened to uh beyonce when she had her twins it was a similar situation and so these are high profile people imagine if you have a small voice like no one's you're just you know, you're not in the medical field, you're just a lay person and you're just trying to tell your story and how you don't, you're not well. And, um, and no one's listening. Like they didn't listen to me either. You know, black infants are twice as likely to die as white infants. And in, and the, and there is a correlation. If you look at the stats between color and low birth weight and, and that, I think it kind of boils down to, at best, it would be implicit bias, but really it's racism and, and, and people yeah. not even understanding about. So so there was a study, I think 2004, where they took out every other variable and looked at just perceived racism um, and saw that just perceived racism alone. So black women who had said, I have been discriminated against, um, they were more likely to have a low birth weight. That was a better predictor of a low birth weight infant than was smoking. Okay, so that is that is like enormous. So you are doing like you are harming actively black people if you are not actively being anti-racist. So just keep that in mind before you call someone who's bird watching, Karen. (laughs) And because calling the police on someone like that means a whole different story than it does. It could mean their life. So I just want to be very clear. Look at Elijah McClain. I'm sorry, I'm going to get off topic. This is very, PR knows I get like bananas about this, but like look at Elijah McClain. Someone called the police 
because he looked, you know, quote unquote, not right because he, you know, was different because he had a hoodie on because he had a, you know, a a ski mask on because he was cold Mm -hmm. and he was murdered. So you need to be very sure before you make that call that it's the right call to make. And if you're really concerned about the person, maybe you step up and see if they need some help. Yeah. He's the person who played violin for the kitty cats. I mean, it's just really, it's, it's a very sad situation. And um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it is a lot. I, I grant you that it's a lot, but it's a lot being in the, for us who walk in those shoes. And so the change does have to come from white people. White, it does. white people built this racist system. So it's up to white people to dismantle it really and to build something um, and we can join in at that point and build something new and better and um and just for everyone and so um and you know we didn't even get into the whole um you know the killing of people we're mostly trying to address um the the issue with women but we can certainly do an episode with regard to that Um, absolutely Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, well, yeah, it's important to know that racism and police brutality in this country, shootings, profiling, unnecessary violence, you know, black women are more likely to get arrested with an increased risk of sexual harassment and sexual assault while they're, you know, under whatever suspicion. Um, And that number even increases if they are LGBTQIA, if they are gender nonconforming, if they're trans, if they're disabled, they're at an increased risk. This is a vulnerable, vulnerable population. Black people are three times more likely to be killed by police than white people. That is insane. And 99% of cases of police violence in 2015 um, did not uh, have the officers involved be convicted of the crime. So people are being murdered and in 99% of the cases their their murderers are just walking free like they did nothing and, and that people, is where this people, is an issue people need to understand that you know officers you choose that occupation you choose to be an officer with that comes certain risks and you know, I would you. I would hope that you're choosing to be a peace officer, and really, they're not. They're they're going. It's it's a whole another scenario that we need to devote another podcast, another episode yeah. to, um, because we will want to do it justice. But um, it it just really we have to keep stand. We have to stand our ground and keep protesting and vote and vote and vote and and um, make sure that you know, people are listening to what we, what we want to happen. Now, not to say, I mean, as women, as women who have potentially, um, and people who have potentially, uh, encountered assault and who may be triggered by what is sort of our only other choice. Um, I hear you. I am not dismissing you in any way, but I want you to take a moment if you're able to, if you're able to get through that trauma and look at all the other transgressions, uh, by the other person and try to make the best decision. If it's between a dumpster fire and like a shit sandwich, like try to make the best, (laughs) try to make the best decision for you. Everyone can't be Hillary. So, 
Um, okay, if it's okay with PR, I just wanted to say a couple things because I feel like, again, this falls in our hands, especially as white cisgendered women, as white women in healthcare. So I wanna say what you can do as a midwife, be aware of these health disparities, address them, listen to and love your black patients. They need to be treated equally as everyone address their possible stressors, concerns, trauma. I'm taking time in each and every one of my visits with patients now, especially if they are black or a person of color to say, how are you feeling right now? How are you being affected? What can I do? Is there something I can help you with? Because we need to be listening and then we need to be learning and evolving. Make sure you're educating yourself and others. It is not PR's job to tell you what you should know. And I, you know, we'll continue to tell people, read, look it up. Now I know it can be triggering and it can be hard, but again, we have the privilege to be able to dismiss it, as she said. And so you need to look at your own shit and say, okay, I'm gonna give myself an hour to read about this and really educate myself. And then if you need to turn it off, then you meditate a little bit, or then you watch an episode of Parks and Rec or whatever it is that you do to try to like make it all lovey-dovey again, but it needs to happen and do not tolerate racism in your office or care. White cisgendered women, I'm speaking specifically to you, use your privilege. We are largely seen as non-threatening and we're less likely to incur violence. So use your voice. I think, um, of all the times I've interacted with police and been terrified, I have never felt comfortable with that type of authority. Um, my skin has protected me because I guarantee that I looked shifty as I was like shaking, you know, at the steering wheel, but I didn't get asked to get out of the car. I didn't get assaulted because I am white. Okay. I can run down my street without fear of being murdered. My boys are more likely to be killers than to be killed mm -hmm. because they are white. My healthcare concerns are met with concern. Listen, there were 5 million mostly white women who marched during the Women's March, who protested, and there was no violence. And it's not because they were nonviolent, it's because the police did not target them, because our system did not set them up to be assaulted, to be shut down, right? So we need to do better, we need to speak up, we need to protect our fellow black men, women, non-binary people, okay? Correct those around you, read, learn, speak up, teach your children, it is never too young to teach them, support black owned businesses, and please freaking vote. Amen. 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 We'd like to thank our Rev Kev and our Baobab Tree Studios, our friends, family, and all of you who make this podcast possible. Please be sure to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen. Like us, please give us many stars and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Midwife Crisis Podcast or email us at midwifecrisispodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, arrest Brianna Taylor's killers. And the best protection from all kinds of things is to lavate las manos, wash your hands, por favor. Bye. Adios. Thank you.